Hello, everybody. My name is Tim Callen, one of the managing partners here at Callen Capital, and thank you for joining us here today for our first quarter 2024 market update. And before we get started on 2024, I just want to take us back a little bit to 2023. And it was a very remarkable year. If we can take ourselves back to January of 2023, I've never in my in my career remember a year where the consensus economists estimates the entire Wall Street was so wrong in terms of what to expect in 2023. Literally every economist out there was expecting a recession last year, and it was only a matter of how large the recession was going to be. It was either going to be a very small and short recession, which was in the camp that frankly I believed, and there were others that thought there's no way that the Fed is going to manage this and they are going to drive us into a significant recession. There is nobody out there, to my knowledge, that was expecting growth in 2023 in such a robust market outcome as that we had last year. Think about all the uncertainty. The war in Ukraine was going on. The Fed was dramatically increasing interest rates. We had just touched off a peak of 9% inflation. It was looking like doomsday. And guess what happened? The S&P 500 last year was up 26%. The NASDAQ was up over 50%. It just goes to show you the timing of the market is a fool's errand. You just can't do it. No matter what you feel is going to happen in the years to come, you cannot time. The old saying in, the, in, in this industry is you're never wrong, you're just early. And that was certainly true of last year. Now, going into 2024, I'm going to start out to talk a little bit about the economy and where we are here today. As I mentioned, not only did we avoid a recession last year, we actually had quite significant growth. In third quarter, we had an annualized GDP growth rate of about 5%, way off from recession. A wonderful quarter. Four isn't out yet, but expectations are right around in that mid 2% range. So again, nowhere close to recessionary period. And our expectation is it will have you know, mild growth going into 2024, and the Fed will largely avoid a recession this year and really managed to get that soft landing that they were hoping to get. The reason being is that labor markets are starting to soften. There was a part where there was a point in time where the labor markets were so tight that there was actually 12 million job openings in March of 2022. About three times more job openings than there were people out looking for jobs. That's just unsustainable. And we've seen that number come down significantly. There's now about 8.7 million job openings. Still, it's too high, but the number is going in the right direction. And we should see a normalized, normalized labor market mid sometime this year. The unemployment rate remains at in unbelievably low levels, below 4% unemployment rate. We haven't seen these levels of low unemployment going all the way back to the 60s. And wage growth is slowing as well. It's come down from about 7% wage growth. So what that what's that done is it's brought down the inflation numbers where the Fed is really trying to bring down inflation. If you can imagine back in 2022, we had a 9% year-over-year inflation rate, 9%. The most recent print was a 3% inflation rate with, again, the, the trend going in the right direction, expectations of around 2% inflation rate towards the middle of this year, the direction that the Fed is, is hoping to go. So what are they doing as a result? Well, they raised rates, as I mentioned, to a peak of five and a quarter in July of last year. Jerome Powell came out indicating that they are li they're likely done raising interest rates and signaled to potential rate decreases in this year. The market expectations for the Fed funds rate is that there will be six rate cuts in 2024. 
of a quarter point each. Now that sounds quite high. I mean, the, the economy would have to slow fairly significantly for the Fed to actually go in and, and, and cut rates that many times. So expect cuts anywhere from three to six times next year should be good for certain interest rate sensitive asset classes, fixed income, real estate, et cetera. To talk a little bit about federal finances and deficit spending, unfortunately, this picture is not getting better. The federal government managed to borrow last year or deficit spend one point, a number that is unsustainably high. And expectations are that it's actually going to get worse this year, up to right around 1.85 trillion in deficit spending in 2024. You know, eventually Congress is going to have to step in to do something about it. It is not a doomsday scenario. There still is time to correct this problem, but it is getting worse and worse. In fact, if it isn't changed by the end of this decade, 50% of all the treasury issuances at the end of this decade will be going towards interest expense on the debt that we already have, 50%. So if you think about what that could go towards otherwise, schools and roads and defense and all the other things that it's not going to be going to unless the Congress gets in and cuts deficit spending going forward. But again, there's no appetite for that anytime soon. A lot of folks want to talk about politics. This is an election year. What does that mean for the markets? And our answer is not much. It's going to increase volatility. It always does. But the reality is, is that both Democrats and Republicans have good records historically, both for economic growth, while they're both either one is in office, as well as stock market returns. And so there really isn't any data to support that one party is better than the other for either economic growth or returns on stocks. But it will increase it will increase volatility, as I had mentioned. In fact, if you just look at the recent history, and let's say you were a Republican that didn't want to invest while a Democrat was in office, and we look at Obama. Obama, the stock market average annual rate of return was 16%. And so that would have been a very bad decision to make. And same thing on the flip side. If you were a Democrat and you didn't want to invest well, a Republican was in office and Trump came along and Trump's average return in the stock market, again, was the same, about the same 16%. And then fast forward now to Biden and his average return for the market is right around 9%. So there is no there is no reason to trade around what you expect is going to happen in the political environment. So let's transition away from politics and the economy and talk a little bit about a lot of folks are hoarding tremendous amounts of cash. There's tremendous amounts of cash on the sideline. One of the main reasons behind that is cash is yielding a fairly attractive 5% yield. In fact, it's the highest yield that cash has done since right around 2000. So that might be a, a sound like an attractive place to park your money. But as I mentioned last year, the S&P 500 was up 26%. So in virtually all of the past rate hike cycles where the yields on cash get to their highest level like we are now, fast forward 12 months and cash is the worst place to park your money. All but one of the last six rate hike cycles where, where cash outpaced the S&P 500 and the 2000 rate hike cycle, but every other time stocks outpace cash. So be cautious in holding too much cash just because it is yielding 5%. As I mentioned earlier, we expect those yields to come down as the Fed decreases interest rates. So don't load up on too much cash in these environments, even though it's tempting to do so. Bond markets are, are attractive. If you go out in duration, you know, U.S. Treasuries are actually yielding less than cash at around 4%. 
But again, if you expect the Fed to cut rates, locking in a 4% yield going out 10 years might provide you a better total return over the, those 10 years than keeping it in cash alone. But, you know, we had rates hit and, you know, over 5% back in October on the 10-year treasury. And then we had this massive rally in bonds and yields came down and prices came up. But still, bonds across the board are providing fairly attractive yields and so not a bad place to park your money. And then let's try to transition to the U.S. stock market, the S&P 500. Again, an astonishing year last year, up 26%. But that that doesn't tell the full picture. The average stock in the S&P 500 last year returned about 12%, the average company. But because the S&P is a cap-weighted index, meaning the larger the business, the larger the weight in the index, the higher the capitalization, the larger the weight. The top 10 companies really drove the returns last year. The top 10 companies were up 62%, if you can imagine that, whereas the index alone was up about 24%. And as a result, those top 10 companies represent about a third of the overall index. So when you buy the S&P 500 right now, you may not realize the fact that one third of your money is going into the top 10 companies in that index. And the bottom 490 companies are getting the remaining two-thirds of that investment. What has that done is it's driven the valuations of those top 10 names. Others like to talk about the Magnificent Seven, which are the seven tech companies in the top 10. But however you slice it, those have been what's driving the returns and the valuations are getting really out of whack. The top 10 has about a 27 times PE multiple, whereas the S&P on average has about a 19 times multiple in earnings and the remaining 490 companies in the index have about a 17 times price to earnings multiple. And so just be cautious of, of those big tech names that are at high valuations. So that is a wrap up on 2024 Q1. Everybody have a healthy and prosperous 2024, and we will be back online in a quarter. Take care, everybody.